Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Friday, October 16th. We're officially into spooky season, I would say. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined by a uh, Spencer Schultz rocking an outfit that I just can't even describe. It's it's incredible. Clashing and bashing, baby. We got the red, the tie-dye rainbow, all the good stuff coming out. I feel like I'm... Uh, I feel like I'm watching a string cheese incident music video or something right now. Ooh, and spooky season too, as mentioned. Yeah, I mean, this is a uh, we're just firing on all cylinders right now. You can just tell. I like I like your one hundred five seven one hundred five seven sweatshirt on too. By the way, used to rock the hell out of this bad boy doing events at four in the morning at Royal Farms and we're in White Marsh Mall skating rink and all over the place. Some fun times. 1057 had some fun people there. Probably still does. Definitely still does. Absolutely still does. We had, uh, you know, a couple of Baltimore B-Town people there at one point. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, big friends of 1057, I would say. Big, uh, got the follow from Jeremy Khan on Twitter the other day. So uh, that was a, boom. A, you know, a decade-long dream of mine. So thank you, Jeremy, for that. Uh, but yeah, how you doing, bud? We, you're, you're still coming off the COVID a little bit, it sounds like. How's that whole situation going? I think I'm good. I uh, just another lab test so hopefully that comes back negative i bronchitis said so they gave me an inhaler and some antibiotics and that good stuff so i got a little got a little uh, uh, rasp on still but i'm, I'm okay to really work with sis tomorrow they've been uh gracious enough to allow me to take some time off while i was sick and let me ease back into things so i'm working and twerking again and uh hopefully i'll be back to my normal self soon I always get sick around this time of the year. You said offline, I think, last time. You do too. Just when it gets cold out, gets cold. Yeah, it was one of those things where um, the weather went from, like, I think probably in the 80s on, like, last Wednesday, and then it was back down into the 60s, like, within a day. That got me big time. I I was dealing with allergies, uh, you know, pretty bad. I was, you know, maybe some fears of covid uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, it wound up not being that thankfully. So, uh, I'm back in action in full swing of things. It sounds like you're getting there. So, uh, that's certainly a good thing. And, uh, as we head into this weekend, uh, against these darn Philadelphia Eagles, it's, uh, we're, we're hoping to be full steam ahead here. So these doggone Philadelphia Eagles, it's going to be a fun one for sure. So before we get into that, we wanted to cover some stuff. First things first was a little bit of news. Uh, and didn't have this written down initially, but it was coming across the wire right before we started recording, basically maybe an hour or so before, uh, Ravens, uh, you know, long time, I don't know if I'd say enemy, but they're very familiar with this guy, Le'Veon Bell signing with nemesis. the Kansas. He's a nemesis. He's, he's a nemesis. Yeah. But then there was some, uh, some love when he wanted to clearly wanted to come to Baltimore to, uh, resurrect his career after an off year. Uh, you know, so it's, it's an interesting relationship they have with Le'Veon Bell. I think he's going to be firmly back in that enemy category after signing with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, to go and chase that Super Bowl ring. 
Yeah, it's going to be a nice addition for them. They pick up a better goal line back, I think. Seemed like Clyde had kind of struggled just a little bit in those big box situations. I think he's a really back, but a very, very tall dude. So if he's not able to squeak through, uh, smooth, whenever you kind of even saw in the Ravens game, a little bit, if a big lineman can kind of get a hold of him, he just loses weight there, but he's able to use his smaller stature to kind of pop in pads of linebackers and DBs, a very contact heavy guy in the open field. But Le'Veon's going to be a great goal line back for them. Definitely an improvement over whatever their backup situation is. So I don't think it's going to be some, you know, oh man, the Chiefs got Le'Veon. Wow, the rich get richer. But, but they do just a little bit. They very wisely continued to invest uh, in, in Johnson more so. Their stock is just going to keep slowly going up over time. And it's a good fit for them. They did lose Kalecio Semele, which is so unfortunate. He had like a horrific injury past weekend. So he'd been playing well, kind of setting the tone up front. Ravens fans know him. Raiders fans know him. Jets hate him. So a disgruntled former New York Jet heading over there in lieu of Kalecio Semele's injury to see what they can do. Should be fun to watch unless they're playing the Ravens. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, talking about a guy who is going to fit into that offense, I mean, this was a guy that it's easy to forget was regularly lining up at wide receiver for the Steelers, doing a lot of uh, stuff off route trees, you know, lining up out wide and in the slot, embarrassed CJ Mosley a couple times doing that. So uh, I feel like the, the Chiefs are, and Eric Bieniemy are going to get uh, pretty creative with this dude, and uh, I don't expect him to recapture that MVP level form that he was playing at at certain points, but uh, I think he is definitely going to be, if nothing else, a very good complementary piece within this offense. So uh, good for them adding him in. You know, you kind of hate to see the Chiefs go and get – another weapon but uh what are you gonna do about it uh you mentioned you know ceh is still kind of there so there's definitely gonna be some snap share but uh gonna be an interesting situation for sure for sure but we don't have to belabor the point moving on we had uh our boy patrick queen a jersey that you are currently waiting on uh he has been named the afc defensive player of the week not the rookie defensive player of the week the afc defensive player of the week after a massive Performance against the Bengals in which he had a strip sack, I think two fumble recoveries, uh, a handful of tackles. So uh, good for old Patty Queen getting the uh, the pelts on the wall there. I swear he's the young person to ever get that award. I swear. I'm still waiting on someone to call me out, hopefully, where I could. I went back. I went on pro ball reference and went back through, I think, 2009. At least he used to win it that far. Devin Bush won it last year, but he's a month older. And Queen, and he won it in week six, the closest I could find. But yeah, we see Queen come into form. You hear Martindale, it is yesterday, the, the coordinator speaking about his, you know, preseason essentially being over and expecting him to, you know, really start to scratch past the tip of the iceberg, that old quote everybody loves to use. So I think that's so true. We've seen some of the things he did at LSU, we've seen him able to diagnose against some gap run designs very very well fill gaps he's been able to tackle pretty well uh, for the most part so those are both strong I think he's still getting a foothold on how to really win coverage and how to be effective seems like he was doing a little bit too much uh, you know play fast as rookies sometimes do and just kind of not really thinking and letting the play come to them and, and just doing their assignment and that's where you see some rookies struggle. So a little bit of struggles in coverage, but I think he's starting to round out. And then when he blitzes, man, I tried to whistle and it didn't work. But hair on fire. There we go. Yeah, they uh, he he comes in hair on fire. That old cliche, and he Joe Burrow up from behind, pause very badly, very. That was a big hit. Straight hashtag back shot to his old teammate. Also just did not give up on that play. Like he got overrun a little bit by the tackle. He kind of, I think he might've even left his feet and then he hops back up and just comes back there and he goes full Marlin and just punches that football out. So a uh, very, very nice job there by Patty Queen picking up that pelt on the wall, like I mentioned. So good for him. Uh, moving on, we have coming up on Sunday, history is going to be made. Sam Cook is going to make history on Sunday Suiting up for the Baltimore Ravens for the 230th time, he will surpass Terrell Suggs at 229 and Ray Lewis at 228 as the most tenured Raven as far as games go uh, throughout franchise history. So good on good on, on old uh, Sam Cook there. It's crazy that he's been in the NFL for so long now. I feel like Dave Zastadl wasn't that long ago, but 
It was. It was what fifteen yeah, years. It was. Yeah, he was. He, so I guess it was like kind of decade to decade. I think there were a couple other guys in there other than Zasadil. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, yeah, Kyle it's, it's been Cook a little bit before the 2010s, and then all throughout them. So he's he's been there that whole time, played in pretty much every game. So he's been the epitome of consistency. Uh, Ravens former. Special teams coordinator Jerry Rosberg called him the greatest holder in NFL history. And I don't, I mean, he's given us no reason to think that anything otherwise. The very few errant long snaps he has had, he has flawlessly put in front of whoever's kicking the ball and Justin Tucker for the last few years. So that's an underrated part of his game. And I, I also recall Rosberg saying, or maybe it was Cook himself, that he has 19 different punts, different angles and drops and things like that, and ways of kind of making the ball spin. Uh, I remember Corderell Patterson a few years ago talking about how no one had, he'd never seen a ball knuckle in the air the way that Cook made it. So some weird stuff that we don't really notice when we're watching the game on TV or things like that. But Cook has been about as good as he gets as a punter and, and even better as a passer somehow. So been awesome, awesome, awesome. Congrats to Sam Cook this weekend. Better as a passer. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And um, I think for more insight on that, I, you know, I, don't really hesitate to give other people's work a shout out if it's worth it. And I think uh, our guys over at the Exit 52 podcast did a really good job talking to Morgan Cox in an episode that dropped today. Uh, so go ahead and check that out for some more insight on the uh, the Wolfpack there. There's some really good stories they got out of him and some uh, some good cook stuff, too, and sort of his preparation and how maniacal not only he is, but Tucker is. It's it's an interesting kind of crew that they've got going there and uh, how long those guys have been together. If you think about it, I mean, you talk about Cook being around for a while. He has. He's the most tenured one. Tucker's been around for eight years. Cox has been around for nine, I think. So, like, it's pretty insane that a special teams group, you don't even, like, you think of these guys as, like, these sort of wayward journeymen that are just kind of trying to hang on to the back of rosters. Maybe not at these positions necessarily, but, I mean, you know, it happens a lot of the time. And these guys have just been together for almost a decade at this point. It's pretty, pretty wild. Very impressive. I think Cox is, you know, been spot on as well. Three of them just really have something special going on have for quite some time. I mean, Tucker came in, won a Super Bowl as a rookie kicker, kicked some big, big, I mean, kicked a game winner in overtime and double overtime in Denver. Um, all kinds of great, great stuff coming out of that group. Cox has been a, a sneaky tackler, I think, on special teams. <laughs> they t- they talked about that today, how he, uh, he he only has like three tackles or something in his career. <laughs> and he's like trying no, to... never mind that. No, he, it, it was actually more than that because he was like, yeah, I have like... And I don't want to be like quoting their pod verbatim or anything, but he's like, yeah, I have like nine tackles in 11 seasons. So I got to really bump those numbers up so I can average one over the course of my career every season. So those yeah, are I, rookie numbers. I got to laugh. Got to bump those numbers up, man. All right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so Ravens, I mean, overall, you have to give credit to Jerry Rosberg, the, the maestro. And last year, Chris Horton took over in his first year and, was a good unit still lacked that dynamic burner that it kind of feels like Duvernay has become a little bit and Prochet as well made any egregious error knocking on the old wood there but he has started to really cement himself and it feels like he's a guy who's going to go somewhere in this league and as he's so young and has NFL experience could become a, a head coach in the next you know five years or so especially under a really well-respected coach from a well-respected franchise throughout the league. So, Definitely gotta love the Ravens, especially first in DVOA right now in Football Outsiders. They are blowing everyone else out of the water. I think it's like at least 10 in DVOA. Positive that the Ravens special teams has been. So nice to see them back into that Jerry Rosberg type of efficiency and performance. And it's been silently, you know, a little bit of a separator for them, I think, over other teams. It's taken some time. I mean, it wasn't perfect, you know, last year under Chris. I think it's his first, or it was his first season. Uh, so this is his second here, and it looks like he's starting to make his stamp. You know, you've got the return touchdown by Duvernay. He's looked strong at re- a, a kick returner outside of that. You've had Prochet looking strong at punt returner quietly, I think. And uh, you've got all the old stalwarts there at Gunner doing their thing, you know, uh, Co-Cap and all those guys. So, yeah, good to see them no back. No Chris Moore yet. No, yeah. I mean, that's another piece of the puzzle that you're going to be able to plug in. He's probably going to be scoring touchdowns and uh, downing punts uh, as soon as he's back off of that finger injury. And they've really gone out of their way to hang on to him. So you certainly hope so, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Moving on as far as news is concerned, our last piece was uh, related to this upcoming game. Jim Schwartz, Eagles defensive coordinator. He's a Baltimore native. 
uh, Mount St. Joe's graduate, I believe. Uh, he's been around the league for a while. He was a coach of the Lions uh, for a couple years. Uh, sort of flamed out there a little bit, but he's wound up uh, in a nice little DC role here for the Eagles where he's done a good job. And he had some comments that uh, I thought were probably going to get a little more vitriol than they did. Uh, there probably was some, and uh, our buddies over at Chiefs Kingdom were you know, maybe losing their minds over this, but I didn't really see too much hatred uh, by his comments on, uh, I forget the exact day, but uh, his comments about Lamar Jackson probably being the most dangerous player in the league. Yeah, I feel Lamar is when he's on. We haven't. It's just crazy that we haven't seen that for like a full game yet. So that's. I think that's a good thing. I think that, of course, same time. You know, you hear Bill Belichick called Dixon the best running football, and while I don't think there's some, you know, creepy error in saying that or anything of the sort, it's it's what you say. It's the play do. It's it's come become commonplace ahead of games and respecting your opponent and that old you know. Bruce Lee kind of respect your opponent thing. It's been nice to hear those comments about Lamar still knowing that he hasn't played his game in the 50 yard touchdown run against DC. We've seen some incredible red zone throws still. We date back, I guess the Browns, he actually was superb. So Browns game, he kind of had it all together there for the most part. And knowing that he up and down fence has taken a lot of criticism, all that stuff. And for sure come out and say those is very high praise and, I think deserved of youngest MVP since. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, definitely one of those things where, you know, maybe people are starting to forget a little bit just how good the guy is because he's had a couple of off weeks and uh, there's some extenuating circumstances that people obviously aren't going to talk about with his injury and his illness and some of the stuff going on in his personal life, losing a friend in this last week in particular. But, you know, it's, you know, he was pretty much perfect in that week one game against the Browns since then he's had, maybe a good game here and there and maybe a couple games where he's treading water. He hasn't been bad in my estimation. And um, I don't know, man, I think it's, it's a uh, good to see that, you know, defense coordinators are kind of not taking the bait and are still giving him uh, the respect that I think he deserves, but we don't have to belabor that point either too much because you mentioned that's kind of just what you do. So that's fine. He's just sort of playing the PR game, uh, which I would expect nothing less, but uh, with news out of the way, you ready to jump into the injury report, bud? Yeah, let's get into the injury report. I did want to touch on the Bills really quickly. Uh, if you want an interesting breakdown on what they did defensively, head over to The Athletic. I believe Ted Nguyen, as well as another writer, name is escaping me, did an awesome breakdown. And the Bengal hindsight, not to get belabored just very quickly, really pursued option runs very well. And I we've poked endless amounts of fun at saying that there's a blueprint out to stop the Ravens. But the blueprint is pursuing these option runs with discipline and kind of creating. It's the same kind of thing you see on kickoff. Watch a Ravens kickoff who do it well, as we just talked about. They create perfect pursuit where there's not a lot of broken. And if you watch some of the runs at the athletic down where the Bengals bottled up Lamar Jen, who we've talked about his knee, you know, yada, yada. But they create a, a flow where the close defender creates a perfect kind of linear diagonal line back to the back pursuit so that if Lamar cuts, there's going to be someone there to get him. They basically suggested doing weak side read options where there's some more false and things like that. But more on that, go to the athletic. They did a great breakdown. And I think the Bengals did play well defensively for sure. Not adequately respected, but without further ado, let's get into that injury report. Absolutely. So, Starting on the Ravens side of things, you have a couple DNPs, Mark Ingram, not injury-related, Anthony Levine, abdomen, uh, Brandon Williams, not injury-related, injury Derek Wolf. this was a weird one, had a neck injury and a concussion, so did not participate as of Thursday. Uh, limited had a rough couple weeks. Yeah, for sure. Limited participation, Chris Moore, like we touched on with the finger slash thigh, you love to see those slashes, Marcus Peters with a thigh, happy anniversary to him. Tyree Phillips with a shoulder, Jimmy Smith with a knee, and full participation was Ronnie Stanley with a shoulder. I think this can just generally be assumed that Jimmy Smith is like kind of nursing some stuff always, always has a little little wear and tear on him, but he's always good to go in time for the most part. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, I really think Ronnie Stanley played one of his less impressive, to put it nicely, games as a Raven this past week. He his usual dominant self. Uh, I 
discussing with Cole Jackson, who we really need to get on here soon. He has such great offensive line light, but he struggled, struggled a little. wasn't really dominant um, to be off timing wise and some different things. So hopefully that injury is not as sneakily serious as it kind of appeared last week. Uh, I think that with some of the ones, you know, Jimmy, Guy, nurse it. That's fine. Take your time. Stay healthy. Uh, the old slash thigh. I wonder if we'll see Chris Moore anytime soon. It feels like he's been cashed a little bit and, and banked up and things like that. So curious to see. But nothing nothing crazy there on that injury report, which is good. Wolf, as I mentioned, had his head COVID, so he got home. Took some precaution there, which you love to see, as opposed to some other teams that are like doing some sort of weird underdog thing out of not following rules is like various, but also really not at the same time. It's the least, it's the least surprising thing ever for an NFL team to do that, to be fair. Yeah. Like we had code and didn't do what we were supposed to. Like everybody counted us out. Like what? It's like, all right, bud, like maybe let's all just not, not try to push that narrative, but it's not surprising that Taylor Luan would be at the front, the forefront of all that. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, You're not respecting the boys, the man. Oh, sick, dude. The boys. Yeah. I wonder if That's that so was sick. like their pregame pop speech. Like, we're, all, we're all sick with COVID. They're disrespecting moving our games around. Like, we're underdogs here. They think the Bills are going to beat us when we're all sick and haven't practiced. Like, Just like in 2012, like, I have to assume that in the pregame huddle, Terrell Suggs was screaming about how Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are the most arrogant pricks in the world in the uh, AFC Championship game. And it just kind of flowed out of him as he was walking off the field in that uh, that glorious rant that uh, I don't necessarily co-sign on, but uh, was entertaining to watch. I think uh, if you're a Titans fan, maybe you are a little, uh, you're a little cheeked up at that. It's kind of funny, honestly. Titans fans are a weird bunch. I don't, uh, I don't think quite the sharpest tools in the shed from, from a little sparse Twitter interaction. <laughs> their their media is really good. They have a uh, dashboard. Terrell Davenport, I believe is his name. He does a great job, but Terrell Davenport, uh, he does a good job. But yeah, the dogs who got COVID, that's that's how we'll, we'll speak on. Good job at Nashville. They're the COVID dogs. They're the sick dogs. Sick dogs run faster together. Sick dogs run fast, dude. Okay. Switching over to the Eagle side of things, we have safety Marcus Epps did not participate. Uh, Lane Johnson did not participate with an ankle. Uh, Second straight day. He's expected to play, I think. Uh, Matt Pryor with an illness did not participate. Duke Riley, rib, did not participate. Limited was Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey, Avante Maddox, Richard Rogers, and Darius Slay uh, with a concussion. Uh, full participation, Sean Bradley, Jamon Brown, Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, Hassan Ridgeway, Kayvon Wallace. Not as bad as it's been for them. I'm so curious to see if Jeffrey or Jackson comes back. It just feels like how, but they both have been limited for so long. Um, don't speculate and say they're, you know, gladiators. Both guys have done so much league, but it's kind of weird that they've been limited for a while and not able to really get it going. I'm not sure, but I'm curious, curious, curious to see that. And curious to see if one of those guys plays because. The emergence of Travis Fulgham, who into and you were chopping up on Twitter, uh, the lack of Jalen Rager also available, and Greg basically being a convert who's done an admirable job. It just feels so strange for Carson Wentz trying to figure out these things, and so insane how Travis Fulgham on the last two weeks highest receiver in all of PFF off the street bounced around practice squads and stuff come in and just dominates. So it would be a little bit more curious maybe if suddenly Deshaun Jackson is uh, healthy and ready to go, but it feels like and Jeffrey are just nursing, probably nursing injuries for the last like year or two and not able to really get on the field. Yeah. You almost want to get a little galaxy brain with it, but it's kind of hard to, because like you have to imagine with the way that Wentz is just getting sent out there without his M1 Garand and just getting absolutely fucking fired on by the Nazis. Like, <laughs> you got to think that, like, if there's any reinforcements to send, they would send them. So not going to get Galaxy Brain on that. And uh, it has looked rough without the presence of literally a single, like, established option. I know Fulgham has looked good, and that's good for him. But, like, Ertz has slowed, and Goddard hasn't been out there, and... Man, it's just it's it's a rough scene as far as this receiving core goes. So yeah, I think 
hopefully for them and not hopefully for the Ravens, it's going to remain that way this week as well. Because against the Steelers, it was Miles Sanders a little bit on the ground. It was Fulgham through the air, and uh, that was kind of it. Yeah, Zach Ertz hasn't looked. I mean, he gets blanketed as he always has, but he's been banged up. He's getting older. He's a little disgruntled. They don't have Goddard, so Richard Rodgers is their second-string tight end now, who's also injured. And I know that Ertz has been banged up a lot over the last couple of years. Wentz just doesn't look right. Uh, we'll kind of get into that, but it's a rough scene considering you know Brandon Brooks out for the year, one of the best guards in football, maybe the best huge contract mention at kind of a late point in his career, out for the year. Jason Peters, who is signed because of injury, out for the year. Like they are in the Lane Johnson is banged up and not practicing, and I just mentioned you know he was a little bit banged up, didn't have his best game. I think Johnson is one of the best in football. But it's just that offense, they somehow pulled some rabbits out of their hat in this game. They have a third and long 70, what, 77-yard draw where Miles Sanders just takes off. <laughs> Travis Fulgham is making like Randy Moss-esque plays and hauling down these crazy corner routes and shit. They put up a th- almost a 30-year on Pittsburgh, and it was just still throwing interceptions, still so much drama going on when Carl Wentz, you know, the breaks down and his eyes drop back and of course Steelers front is probably the top two in football at least and uh it's just ugly man if you go back and watch that Cincinnati Philadelphia game I do think the Bengals defense is underrated but ugly 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 game from Carson Wentz and that Eagles offense so interesting as the Ravens follow the Steelers as not a not an easy defense to play against, and they have two of the best two weeks in a row. So tough test for Philly. Yeah, I mean, kind of a weird defensive performance by the Steelers. I think it was um, might have been Mike Hilton on that Miles Sanders run. He was kind of he wound up in the middle of the field. I think he was playing nickel. He kind of wound up in the middle of the field, and Sanders just kind of comes up and he sort of goes in to make the tackle, sort of doesn't. He kind of dives at his ankles, and there's just nobody behind him. He just takes off. So. That was a really weird touchdown run, but, uh, you know, big play by Sanders, you know, to his credit, he ran down a couple guys or ran past them at least. And yeah, Fulgham doing a lot of these like ISO sort of just like alley-oop shots that Wentz is somehow hitting, but we were kind of touching on it and the issue being that, and I guess we can now sort of jump into the Eagles offensive preview with like, what are some of the issues that's going on with Wentz and why is it that like he hits on plays that seem like they should be impossible and then like plays that theoretically should be layups he's just completely blanking it's mechanical it's rushed and when he i think it's some kind of thing we see from lamar jackson you know and scale where maybe he quite trust this offensive line and really try to rush to check downs and i have this theory that you know is a theory so I'll take that with a gigantic shot grain of tequila and salt but i love your theory he had a he had a back injury last year, and he, he hasn't looked comfortable throwing downs and throwing easy throws. In the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, he ends up, maybe it was a miscommunication, but it was like, look, like all route. He throws it two yards behind his receiver, gets picked off, and I think that might have iced the game if I'm remembering at what time that game. Uh, if you, I think you watched a little intent than I did, if that sounds right. Yeah, I think... Um... I think that is right. And I think like, do you, you know, do you follow uh, Mark Schofield? He, um, I'm doing a little work for the dossier and he did an article, I think back in week three about what's going on with him. Cause he struggled through the first two games. Obviously he still kind of is. And there is definitely some mechanical, mechanical stuff going on with him. And it starts sort of the way Schofield broke it down was if you look at his left leg, when he throws, like particularly in ones where he has wide open looks and he maybe should hit them or get closer than he does. And, He's throwing picks on some of these plays and kind of making them look way harder than they should. And what he does is he gets up and, he, you know, he basically gets ready to do his motion where he's going to throw it. And what he does is he snaps his left leg, his plant leg, so that it's fully straight for some reason. And, like, he plants it with it fully straight in the ground, and that's preventing him from fully rotating and getting all the power he needs behind it. And the ball kind of dies on him in the air. And I think, um, I don't know if Mark says this in his article that I was reading, but for me, like, that's the knee that he injured. So maybe he's trying to like generate more force by like plugging it into the ground harder. And then he's obviously probably not rotating his back as well as he used to with that back injury from last year. So I think there's just to your point about mechanical issues, I think the injuries are maybe starting to pile up a little bit. 
And then obviously that's going to play into confidence a little bit and they're going to play sort of into each other in this uh, negative sort of vicious circle that you're talking about. So I think um, there's just a lot of stuff that needs work right now. Some of it physical, some of it mental. And uh, I think it's going to take more than a few good games out of him to uh, make that happen. It's probably going to need to take at least another off season. Yeah. And you think about guys like Andrew Luck and Cam and bigger mobile quarters that have taken abuse and delivered abuse and sustain some of these injuries. And like you mentioned, it, I, who's an NFL player, it's Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa this past week, they asked him if how he felt, you know, you feel percent or whatever. And he said, I don't think I'm ever going to feel 100% again in my life. And that goes even further when you're a quarterback who has a very fun motor skill different mechanical you know necessity to be able to work with where it's not just that body but it's a learned skill uh and mechanically whatever you guys understand what i'm well, I'm not wording it all but he going to kind of relearn how to throw a football in a different way that might accommodate some injury some you know limited mobility some of those things with a combination of you know rehab and surgery and those things and if you watch cam newton throw a football in 20 he number one prior to him having to sit out everything highest average i think he still does but had the highest average velocity per throw i garden of mad of ea sports tweeted at he has i think he access to pff or something um yeah he does like ratings football and stuff, so i think so yeah yeah i think he has their ultimate subscription so he gets the some of the advanced metrics that they don't make available to their customers but he is throwing shit out of the football, but it looked different than it used. And we saw Andrew Luck kind of adjust after injury and be successful again as a thrower and able to over things. And while I think that Wentz's problems aren't shoulder like Newton's and Luck, so there's a little bit of difference there. I mean, think about Ben Roethlisberger, who they just played. It took him 18 minutes, that whole freaking documentary about basically how shitty he was and how much it took for him to have to get back to the point where he is. And he certainly doesn't have the same zip on the ball that he used to. So it's be a long journey like for Wentz to try and learn and figure it out. He's a young guy. He has a ton of money in it to be able to go get whatever he needs. So feels like the Eagles, while they're scrappy as hell and proved that last year and beat a healthy Cowboys team going to the postseason over, over them and then being completely overmatched against the Seahawks. But they're a scrappy team. I feel like they're still a well-coached team. They're capable of executing on offense. And I, I don't think to see an Eagles team that's kind of laughed on as easy of a game as the Ravens have had over the last couple weeks. I think it'll be more similar to maybe the Texans where they still are able to execute to an extent of experience. They just are beat up and don't have the right pieces right now and are – not necessarily match the same way, but like in terms of coaching and things like that, you can laugh at Brian, whatever. But uh, I think kind of similar to that game where the Ravens, at least the offensive side of the ball and probably on the other side as well, are just able to kind of overpower them with talent and playmaking ability, where the Eagles still will keep it within reason. And I think it'll be tough. They're dead, man. Wentz is trying to prove stuff. They're backed against the wall, but they're not out of any sort of race while it's early. The Cowboys have two wins and no Dak Prescott now, so division is what it is, and we're going to see a scrappy out of Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, and I guess we've done enough on him. Outside of him, I mean, we've sort of already touched on it, but who do you think would be the player to sort of watch on this offense? I think Sanders is obviously a guy who's up there. We've touched on Fulgham a little bit. Who would you kind of be keying on if you were Wink Martindale? Just making Wentz make mistakes. Still, we talked about Wentz, obviously the run game, but it feels like the Ravens' run deep is so unbelievably strong and rallies to the ball so well and respects other teams' ability to run. They put so much money and resources into getting a better run defense. Clayus Campbell, Derek Wolf, Matabuke, Harrison, they bring Ford back. Chuck Clark is good in the box and in the box a lot. It just feels like they're going to be able to down Miles Sanders for the most part. Um, I know that Eagles teammates of Miles Sanders kind of talk about 
how he could just play wide receiver. I think that's true as well. He's an outstanding route runner, dangerous after the catch. He has breakaway speed. He has that returner, open field ability, and he's dangerous. Fulgham, you you got to keep him. It feels like in the past he's been the guy, and he's been able to produce at an extremely high level. And while he comes in, is able to take defenses by surprise, and, and maybe that won't happen after another week of film, yada, yada. He's, he's just making plays all like a madman. He's Chris Brown. He uh, is understanding where the six are. We saw him can third and 17, I think, um, earlier in that game where he runs to the sideline, runs like a that kind of route, and is just past the sticks. So it's really – the game plan is to just attack that offensive line. They have Mylotta. Younger guys in there. They have Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, probably. So, two experienced guys. But other than that, there's hole in that line. You're going to see the blitzing get Wentz off his spot, and he hasn't been as accurate as usual. So, it's just coming at him, the noise again for the third straight week, really trying to roll the passer against a kind of beaten up offensive line. So, it feels like they didn't necessarily change it. But if you let a guy like Travis Fulgham beat, then Eagles will keep themselves in it. Yeah, it kind of feels like he's playing like they want Arcega Whiteside to or wanted him to. Um, sort of that yep. physical possession type guy who can go up and make, you know, tough catches. And yeah, I mean, credit to him. He's doing a nice job. He sort of broke out in that 49ers game with a long touchdown. And then he had uh, a ton of big plays against the Steelers. I mean, it was kind of a fun watch. I didn't even like, I, cause I, I watched a little bit of that Niner game, but like when I went down and watched the, the tape of the Steelers game, I was like, who is this 13? Like, is that that Fulgham guy? And it was like, Jesus, like this dude. This dude's legit. I mean, he's definitely a player. I don't know, like, to what extent he's going to stick around, especially with some of these other guys maybe starting to rotate into the uh, lineup again. But, yeah, he's definitely doing a nice job. And I'm glad you hit on that offensive line because it's uh, it's looking rough, and particularly without Lane Johnson, who uh, I think I wrote in the dossier, he's the only guy, you know, on PFF. You mentioned how much you like their O-line grades. I'm kind of the same way. Um, he's the only PFF uh or lineman on their offensive line graded above a 70 by PFF with a 70.9. And he's like got an ankle issue. So this offensive line's, you know, looking rough and this defense on the Ravens, they obviously did a nice job getting after Joe Burrow. What is going to be the recipe this week? Is it just kind of sending four? Are you sending extra guys like Wink likes to do usually? What do you think? I really liked what they were able to do with the DBs, but I think that who has seen more than Burrow, we're not going to see the onslaught of DB onslaught, yeah, onslaught of DB same way, where you know they can really just kind of rely on Humphrey to Tyler on the slot, and that's the, the Eagles' offensive line is better. The Eagles are better coached. Their offense is more competent. They have a more experienced passer. I think we see that tone back just a little bit. Chuck is still going to blitz. Deshaun Elliott still going to blitz. Marlon probably a couple times as well, uh, but. You want to use Judon and Bowser and put them over the A-gap, drop them into coverage still. I would like to see what this forward pass rush and we're not going to ever really see that a ton as Wink is philosophically a blitzer. He wants free rushers. I touched last time, I think, and, and we'll say it again. You hit a quarterback while they are throwing the ball or sack them, Want in a drive, the likelihood, or the I guess the, not the likelihood, but the past three years, that team, the offense, has converted a first down on 22% of drive. Passer gets hit while throwing or sacked once, so it's it plummets 57% down to 22%. Uh, if it's just hit while throwing, it's 30%. If it's sacked, 20 20%, I think, something like that. Whereas, you know, just getting pressure from 57% to 50%, so it make a little bit of effect. But hit a quarterback while they're throwing the football, get on the ground is the difference. And now that we've seen, you know, Mahomes able to do some things, the Ravens have played played five straight or six straight pretty mobile quarterbacks. Dwayne Hiskins is not all trouble, but he's young and athletic and was able to kind of roll out a little bit. So... I think this is like a good pursuit and a strip streak of Ravens edge rushers and everything being tested pursuit wise and kind of having a controlled pass rush while trying to win your block beat. So again, Wentz, a guy who makes plays great while throwing on the run always has been always will be. 
uh, as that playmaker, but he's been turning the ball more. So let's see Pernell McPhee, Calais Campbell, Judon, Bowser, those four, and maybe three or two of them in combinations with Wolf if he's available, Gay, Ward, and whoever else they can kind of put inside there. Let's see what they can do. Let's let's bluff. Let's see what they can do. Drop more into coverage. Let's really pick hard underneath. Um, so maybe bluffing a little bit more than blitzing, but still giving those exotic look. The deep ball was there against Steelers. Went missed and hit on ball as well. So keeping Deshaun and Chuck Clark them back and making sure you know maybe you're not complicating what Marlon Humphrey's doing too much. I would like Marcus Peters in coverage a lot, especially on the outside. Well, it's going to be on the outside. They don't use him in the slot, but uh, on the outside, don't use him in that deep, soft cover four or cover three or whatever, where he kind of gets beat. Keep it covered. Two runs ability for him. I'm in the flats. Keep him short or ask him to man. Otherwise, you know, they, they do have some receivers in a weird way where he can beat you. And Greg Ward has done an okay in the slot, so I guess we'll see Marlon Humphrey in there a good bit. And it feels like Jimmy Smith is just going to be on Ertz and try and make Ertz's day a living hell. He did a really good job on Travis Kelsey, which surprised me. It's the Chiefs. He really was sticky on Travis Kelsey, able to get in his grill and force him in completion. So I think that he'll kind of neutralize Ertz, who is nowhere near as effective as Kelsey. And in this Ravens defense, is probably going to force one or two turnovers and get a little bit of pressure, stop the run, and Wentz is going to have to beat them. Absolutely. And I guess switching over to the defense, I mean, looking at them a little bit, I haven't finished the dossier and I haven't done that defensive side yet, but who is the first player who kind of jumps off the page scaring you? I know Fletcher Cox is a beast. He's been on that injury report a little bit. You got him, you got Darius Slay. I mean, outside of these guys, who are some of the uh, the players that you're worried about? Um, Malik Jackson is a big free agent signing. So is uh, Yvonne Hargrave out? I think he is. Let's see. He's been out for a while, if I'm not mistaken. He is. Yeah, I'm not even seeing him on the injury report, so he might be. He might be IR. I don't know if he. I think he is on the IR. I'm. I'm not positive, but Malik Jen is a guy who sticks out to me. Uh, he's did 15 pressures as an interior rusher. Then you add another 15 from Fletcher Cox, who has two sacks, three quarterback hits. Malik Jackson has eight quarterback hits at this point. So that is about as good of a inside duo as you can have. <clears throat> pardon me, in the NFL. Uh, they have done an outstanding job so far. Fletcher Cox, one of the most underrated players in my mind of his era, especially defensively and on that defensive line. They're going to test the hell out of Matt Skura. They're going to test the hell out of question mark at right guard, whoever is playing there. I think that maybe Makari or Powers might have shown that they are a little more in tune with the offense than Phillips, but Phillips can have that length and double team and size and whatever. So we'll see what they do there. But those two guys, they're game wreckers and quick pressure up the middle, stop run game, a runs run block unit that hasn't been great up the middle. That's scary. That's uh that's a problem. And Ravens have not been running the ball effectively on first down where Edwards is averaging, you know, four year carry, Ingram four the carry. And while that doesn't sound awful, it's a lot less than the five point six yards per carry they average considering all runs. So scary and be able to get some pressure. I think with those two guys, you add in Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, Vinnie Curry, uh, all these different pressures that they have. And it's scary. Brandon Graham has nine pressures. He's done a great job. Josh sweat, another player up front, Derek Barnett with 10 at this point. So those guys can get after the passer. They do a good job. They can stuff the run a good bit. Jim Schwartz is awesome at, fitting that defensive line, able to get them in the right gap and have strong gap alignment and everything like that. So I think we're going to see this offensive line get a big test. And then again, against Pittsburgh in two weeks after the bye, they're going to get another huge test. The Eagles, actually the Ravens as well, and the Steelers are three of the five teams, either five or six teams in the NFL that have over 100 individual pressures so far. So by fire for Phillips or McCarry or Powers or whoever they go with there. And it feels like, you know, if someone has a strong performance in that right guard spot against Philly, they're probably going to get stuck into that Ravens offensive line for the rest of the year. And it's basically shit or get off the pot time for whoever ends up playing. 
I do think it shouldn't be Phillips at this point. I think I saw a lot more Alcari and Powers at run blockers, especially Powers able to get to the second level and do some things. Uh, had some really nice footwork and able to kind of move with pass rushers and his limited snaps. So that's going to be kind of the the matchup to watch there. And then Darius Slay's a planker, but other than that, their their back seven kind of sucks to be honest. I'm going to put it pretty bluntly, and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the Ravens. To the point of the offensive line, we saw a lot of experimentation last week. If you're the coaching staff, how much of that are you doing? Because I feel like in a game like this, against some of the dogs they got up front, I probably want to take a game plan in and stick with it, at least at first. You mentioned like Makari, maybe you have him lock down the job uh, there at guard. And obviously, you know, there's still going to be some fluctuation probably to some extent. But like, how much do you think they're going to go into it and just say, we got the guys that we need, we, we have the horses we need for this game? Or is there still going to be some sort of a uh, little experimentation going on. I would be pretty shocked to see them rating against Cox and Malik Jackson and, and Brandon Graham and those guys. I mean, Brandon Graham will stick his nose in there a little bit, kind of that four inside shape. I don't know how much three tech he plays at all. If does, but they're going to, if, if the Ravens are doing some sort of rotation and that is not allow offensive line to find continuity and find rhythm and understand where the man's be, between Skur and Brown and working like that, then they're going to get freaking whoop, man. feels like Powers might be the best run blocker a bunch, and I think knowing what he was able to do at Oklahoma as a packer as well, the anchor that he's able to bear down in the in the pass pro game makes the most sense to me. I do not know why he's kind of the third option. That makes sense to me, but rotating does not sound like a good idea. If someone's getting their ass whipped, and if it's Macari ass whipped, and you're not confident there, then I think uh, that's that's grounds to to switch in powers and stick with power the rest of the game. If they want to go with Phillips, so be it. That is trial by fire. He learned to play inside, which is a little bit different in those pitches. Uh, this off season, it feels like as he played tackle primarily at Mississippi State. I don't know what best idea is, but to me it is Ben Powers or Murray and sticking them in there, letting them go. And I'm, I'm worried about Skura. I think that we're seeing Skura at about 80 men last year. Can't really finish blocks as well. He's not sustaining blocks quite as well. And I don't know if Ravens are going to be, if they can the perimeter, make more sense, rely on Bill and Ricard, Mark Andrews has been moved as a run blocker from what I've seen as well, a little bit. So try to get to the perimeter, use J.K. Dobbins to the outside, who's have the most burst on some veer and on some outside concepts and screens and things like that. Because feeling that this Eagles interior defensive line is a roughhouse skirt and uh, Macari, and maybe they're able to get the best of them because they got some freaking players up front. So that's that's the match I watch for me offensively if you had to pick between with all the hand-wringing going on about a the run game and b lamar's uh you know play to a certain extent i think uh both of them in my opinion are maybe a little bit overblown but if you had to make a choice based on just like what you think fan reaction would be would you rather the run game get going this week or lamar kind of get off the schneid here lamar for sure if lamar's on the ravens don't lose games so i think that lamar beats up the run game one and number two, it just, I don't know who to blame. I don't need to blame anyone, but it's between him not trusting the receivers outside of Andrews and Brown, Roman maybe not dialing the schemed open concepts for other receivers, or Lamar is just not trusting his offensive line so he wants to throw to Anderson Brown because he knows where they'll be at that that tie I guess so it feels like a combination of those factors play calling trust offensive line not being quite as good I think we saw a lot of similar stuff out of Lamar early in the season last year but if he's on the run game will be fine they, the goals will have to respect it if he's able to connect with Hollywood spread the ball around a little bit Throw some nine routes, man. Throw some deep balls. Throw one-on-ones. Go give Jaguar Miles Boykin 50-50 balls. Underthrow back throws. Like 
if you got one-on-one, underthrow it, let him fight for the ball. If he gives some pitiful fucking effort, stop in the game. Like, you can't have Sneed and Boykin running 230 routes so far with 30 targets. It isn't working. They need to incorporate other receivers in the passing game. Other guys are open. You can throw crossers and some more simple reads and things. So to me, the run game is fine. It's not as good as it was last year, but it's still among the best in football. They haven't had to use Lamar's legs, but getting the passing game right is imperative. They're not going to win playoff games. They will not win a Super Bowl without a competent, dangerous passing offense. And with, you know, again, another game where maybe you can get some turnovers and don't need the offense to be hitting on all cylinders against a a beat-up, kind of struggling-ish, turnover-prone offense, figure the passing game out. You have a bye week ahead. You have time. You have the trade line. Figure out the problem in the passing game. Less vertical stuff. A little bit. Check down. Get Lamar Find some quick Sneed, use screens, Duvernay underneath, whatever. J.K. Dobbins, throw him some quick checkdowns. Let's see if he can go get eight yards, whatever. Get the passing game going. Everything else falls in place. Running the ball enough, in my opinion. They are running the ball enough, in the opinion of many football analysts. Next Gen Stats has them running the ball over expectation. Uh, Harbaugh mentioned they ran the ball 20 times on first, second down. It was 11 on first down, and they didn't go well. So run the ball a little bit. I think use Dobbins on first a little bit more explosive ball to the outside and get some quick passing going. And if it's not working, then find some other guys, stick run game, whatever, win the game on defense. Maybe this is a lower scoring game than uh, than anticipated, something like that. But get Lamar right, get him clicking ahead of the bio and figure it out. Yeah, to me, it's kind of boils down to exploit the, athleticism or lack thereof in this linebacking core like if you watch that 100%. game the Steelers were going east west every other play and it was working they did like at least three end arounds by my my count and they all worked like they all at least gained first downs they had a touchdown to Claypool on one of them uh and it just yeah like you've got the you have the personnel for that a little bit you got Hollywood and DuVernay as these sort of spark plug receivers that you can do end arounds to you have four different running backs that all serve four different purposes that maybe you can bluff one way and then pitch it to the other one. It just kind of goes side to side and uh, exploit this defense a little bit, maybe a little levels concepts and stuff like that, where you have like one receiver going intermediate, one deep option that Lamar can kind of default to one or the other. And I feel like that's going to be a way to maybe get Boykin going. He had that catch and run on that uh, play action where he was kind of going across the middle of the field on a crosser. So maybe some stuff like that to help him gain some confidence and get him going. But yeah, for me, you talked about doing the 50-50 balls. Maybe do a little bit of that. Maybe do a little bit of scheme some guys open and let them run against this defense because the athleticism, I think, as much as there is hand-wringing about this Ravens offense right now, I think they have the talent to outrun this defense. So that will be my approach for sure. But uh, anything else on this matchup, bud? I think it's a day for Mark Andrews. We saw the Bengals able to kind of key on him a little bit. He still had a good game, scored a touchdown, had a big on third and 14 on the red zone. Nate Garrett, the linebacker who I loved at Nebraska and is playing than I ever thought he would, but I am I'm kind of wrong there. I thought he would be a little bit more able in covering. 23 targets, 23 receptions. Nikel Robeson, the slot, the infamous, I guess just famous, people say incorrectly, the famous Saints pass uh, DPI pass interference in that NFC Championship game. 16. LeBlanc, 15 of 19. Avante Attic, 12 of 18. Duke Riley, backer, 8 of 12. Darius Slay, 20 of 30, while Slay has been playing well. And Jalen Mills, 12 of 19. Have anybody playing in coverage well, man? They're 74% completion rate. If I'm not mistaken, Mark Andrews is going to fuck them up over the middle of the field. If you can get him lined up with Gary one on one, that could be a house call. We saw Poole in the slot from the Steelers against a cover two look, not comfortable sticking one safety deep. So that could open up the run game a little bit theoretically, but give the over two looks. Andrews go eat. They don't have Jesse Bates. They don't have uh, Eric Reed from the Texans. They don't have uh, a true single high kind of guy while McLeod has been uh, their strongest you know, safety covered under the middle of the field. 
do not have the guys to hang out with Mark Andrews. Willie Sneed, I think, over the middle of the field there, get Hollywood in the slot, mix him in, do all that stuff, and take advantage of their lack of ability to cover the middle of the field. I think Mark Andrews could have a two-touchdown day. Uh, that like the the way to exploit the pla- the passing game, but that doesn't – that would be great for things to win the football game. But if this is a game where they kind of control things again to a two, three-score lead, want Boykin and Sneed to be thrown the football if they're doing that kind of same thing they did against the Bengals. So that's that's my end note. Mark Andrews could have a huge day, but what we learn, what does the coaching staff learn – Get other guys touches. Use cross, use double crossing, pad, uh, switch routes and things like that. Switch concepts, mesh, all that kind of stuff. Put Gary in conflict. Put Duke Riley in conflict. Put the safeties in conflict. Read that guy. Throw the ball there. I know it's it's not Madden. I'm not you know an NFL guy, but it, it feels pretty simple against this Eagles secondary to do that. Use Boyle and pass protection at times. Spread the ball around. Let's let's get this offense kick started. It's time. I think they will. I don't know like how much my score line ultimately is going to reflect that, but I think it's going to look a lot better. I think people are going to be a little bit more pleased this week because I think Lamar is probably, I keep harping on this human element thing. I think he's a guy who takes a lot of this stuff to heart. And when he's getting criticized, he, I don't know if I'd say he doesn't like it. I mean, who likes to be criticized, but I feel like he responds to it pretty well. So expecting him to respond to it well this week. Uh, I'm expecting it Sorry. to no, you're fine. I'm expecting him to uh, respond to it well this week. I think um, I think they're going to get some of these guys involved that everyone's clamoring for. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go Ravens thirty, Eagles twenty. A little bit, little bit of a shootout, but they they pull away. Yeah, I think Carson Wentz can make plays. I think down in the red zone, he's able to to do some similar things to Mike leverage well, uh, throw into tight windows and things. I think that the if the Ravens force two. This game could get out of hand, but I like that uh, that that kind of vibe. I'm gonna see if the offense gets it together more against a weekendary that doesn't have your safety. You can take away Mark Andrews. So uh, let's go 34, 21, uh, 34, 34, 23, 423. That's my prediction. 34-23. Okay, sounds like pretty similar vibes that we got going on there, but. Uh... Appreciate you joining me, bud, as you're still uh, coming out of the other side of the whole COVID situation. Glad to see that you're very much back on your feet and uh, getting back into uh, the swing of things. So that's good. Your analysis was uh, bang on as always. And um, glad to uh, glad to have you back with me here uh, for the long run. So this was a great episode, I think. Uh, looking forward to what's going to be, I believe, a very fun game just up the road, I-95. Uh, always fun uh, getting the Eagles you know, in the mix. Eagles fans are always... Uh, Always the the joy of the league. So this is going to be uh, an interesting one. I'm looking forward to it big time. Hope everyone listening is. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you did, feel free to uh, subscribe to us. Leave us a little five-star review. Make sure it's five stars. If you have any constructive criticism, feel free to leave that. But uh, make sure you do it with the five-star because that helps our algorithm. Uh, really appreciate anyone doing that. And uh, appreciate it if you do it moving forward. Make sure you drop us a... Uh, subscribe on the old YouTubes where we live stream these shows. And uh, keep an eye out for us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. You can find my personal at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can find Spencer at Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. And uh, follow the main account of the website at Be More Beatdown. But uh, in the meantime, we'll talk to you guys again probably on Monday morning. Really appreciate it. And uh, have yourselves a great weekend. Von Hargrave had, did play against Pittsburgh 49 snaps. So that's a correction there. And last, if you want some laughs, go look at the report Twitter or any of Jalen Hurts playing Lamar Jackson's role in practice. Eagles going absolutely ape shit about that. Dude, why the fuck did they draft this guy? What the fuck's that all about? He's just going to be Lamar Jackson on the practice squad? Is that why they used a second round pick on him? Not for nothing. I don't like it. It's glorious. I love Eagles. Since they're they're pretty they're pretty sharp. I think them Boston fans are sharp. But if you want to laugh, go on that. Pretty guys. Eagles fan, Eagles fans are just Ravens fans, but like a little different in some ways. Just like have a percent higher chance of getting addicted to like hard clubs or something weird. Well, uh, you know, it depends on where you're talking about, but we don't have to That's get into that. True. <laughs> uh, not light of that, fortunately. So. Eagles are just crazy. They're fucking bananas. So if you want to go laugh, go on the thread. I'll, I'll, I've retweeted. It's on my page. Uh,
check that one out. But thank you for listening. See ya. Stay frosty. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless.